0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister cancels his trip to the Caribbean to address the blockades at home. We are a country that recognizes
1: the right to protest, but we are a country of the rule of law, and we will ensure that everything is done to resolve this uh, through
0: dialogue, in constructive outcomes, Justin Trudeau faces criticism for his interaction with Iran's foreign minister.
1: Not so much that the meeting took place, uh, that there was a conversation, but it was the images of Justin Trudeau shaking the hand of the Iranian foreign minister, heartily appearing to shake the hand with a big smile on his face. And I think that's what's you know caused a lot of consternation, is it didn't seem to be the the right posture for. The leader of a country who's lost these citizens and this shooting down this aircraft.
0: And has the response to the coronavirus thawed Canada's relationship with China? Uh, I have very frank discussion. Uh, like I said, this is going to be my second discussion with my Chinese counterpart in a week. We have very frank discussion when we speak. It's Monday, February 17th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Hello, Peter. Hello, Mark. So the Prime Minister has cancelled his planned trip to the Caribbean, where he was going to continue his lobbying efforts to get votes for Canada's bid for a seat on the UN Security Council. Instead, he's going to stay at home and focus on this escalating issue involving the blockade. Uh, and he met on the weekend with cabinet ministers and advisors on what to do next. The government has made it clear they don't want the police to go in, so what are the options available to the government and and what do you think the prime minister is going to do now that he's staying in canada
1: well i think he's obviously you know in the conversations he had on the weekend with cabinet ministers and you know he's probably come to the decision on his own uh there's been a fair bit of um criticism of the fact that uh he was you know in africa lobbying for a, a seat on the security council when these blockades were happening when there was uh, significant and growing unrest in the country, and that it, you know, lots of calls for him to be back here in Canada, dealing with domestic issues, not going after what some have described as a you know a vanity project to get the seat on the on the Security Council. So he's made a decision that this is where he needs to be. I mean, the House of Commons has been on a, a, a constituency week, and uh, it's the same today for for what's you know Family Day. and uh, in Ontario. So the house isn't sitting, the house is, you know, gets back to work on Tuesday. So there'll be lots of questions about the government's handling of this. And I think, you know, some of the options will, will come into sharper focus, but they're pretty clear. Uh, you know, it's either continue to find a way to try and negotiate an end to these blockades, or the police go in and, and uh, take them down and move them off railway tracks and, uh, you know, get the rail lines moving again. So uh, those are really the only two options and the government seems to have picked the option it wants which is to try and see where this thing goes at least for the next number of days and see if it will they can find a a, a negotiated way out of it without there having to be these images of uh, of you know police arresting demonstrators and protesters and shutting these barricades down uh, by force because that will fly completely in the face of the of the conversation, this prime minister wants Canadians to have about reconciliation and his grand bargain, and that would clearly indicate that it's all fallen apart.
0: What kind of negotiation could take place, though? What what could the government say to the protesters uh, to get them to stand down?
1: Yeah, I don't think it. it I don't think there are too many options here. Um, the other thing I'd point out is there's another big decision coming, the tech mine decision. So, in the, we're supposed to get that from the government before the end of the month, Mark. So. There's this perfect storm of environmental uh, challenges, uh, First Nations challenges, and uh, energy development challenges all hitting this government at once. But I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure that's what these cabinet discussions are about. And and you know, how could there be a negotiated way out of this if if this project's been approved? It has the support of uh, 20 uh, all 20 bands along the route and this is a this is a, an, um, a challenge inside uh, indigenous leadership about uh, who calls the shots the hereditary chiefs or the or the band councils and that's what it's come down to so it's it's almost as, as if it has to get re- resolved on on their side as opposed to what you know what, what action the government might be able to take and those heredi- at least one of those hereditary chiefs is making it clear on the weekend that that pipeline is not going through Wet'suwet'en uh, territory period so the, the government's options would seem to be limited and at the end of the day will the government may be pressed into taking a stand here that that might involve uh, you know having to explain, acknowledge, accept the fact that uh, these blockades might be ended uh, by police intervention.
0: All right, let's talk a little bit about the Prime Minister's travels. Even though he isn't going to the Caribbean, he did travel last week, of course. And there was uh, some commentary and reaction on the weekend to his meetings with Iranian officials, especially given that uh, Iran uh, shot down a plane that had Canadians on board, of course, dozens of Canadians uh, on board the Ukrainian airline that was shot down by an Iranian missile. Uh, And uh, lots of reaction to how the Prime Minister handled that meeting. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, not so much that, you know, not so much that the meeting took place, uh, that there was a conversation, but it was the images of Justin Trudeau shaking the hand of the Iranian foreign minister, heartily appearing to shake the hand with a big smile on his face. And I think that's what's, you know, caused a lot of consternation, is it didn't seem to be the the right posture for, uh, you know, the leader of a country who's lost lost these citizens and this shooting down this aircraft. It, it, It was not many would say a time for the prime minister to be seen smiling uh, with the iranian foreign minister it's kind of interesting one of the images i've seen actually has the prime minister shot you know smiling while he's shaking hands is with the iranian foreign minister and canada's foreign affairs minister uh, francois philippe champagne is uh, to the side of the prime minister and he's not smiling he's got a fairly stern look on his face um so this is a this is a question of optics and and um uh, for some a uh, suggestion that the Prime Minister conveyed altogether the wrong message to the Iranian foreign minister by greeting him so warmly
0: does the fact that the Prime Minister is not going to the Caribbean mean uh anything for canada's bid for a seat on the u n security Council is it uh it, or does he simply try to make that trip in another time and and win uh, more people on side
1: yeah maybe maybe there's a chance to do it again maybe there there will be as uh, there certainly am assuming have been, continuing conversations with uh, Caribbean leaders uh, behind the scenes uh, to to try to get them on side with with Canada's bid. But I I, I think at the end of the day, Mark, this is just a a question of uh, he he couldn't be seen to be out of the country. And this is the the only way it would be portrayed. And you'd have to answer that question repeatedly uh, for whatever media availabilities were to take place on this trip. Uh, that would likely be the only question people, reporters would be asking on this trip is, why are you here? Why aren't you back in Canada dealing with these protests? Uh, and really, is is the your your bid for a security council seat more important than uh, trying to deal with these situations and blockades back in Canada? And I think they just looked at, at the calculations there and the, and the political capital that would be expended there and said, you know, this doesn't make sense uh, to, to continue with this trip. Uh, you need to stay at home.
0: All right, let's turn to the government's handling of the coronavirus. Uh, there, of course, uh, is uh, an evacuation that's going to take place of Canadians who are on board a, a cruise ship that was affected by this. Uh, there's also been a lot yeah, of Yeah, some of them aren't happy about it. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Um, but uh, has to be done, I guess. Um, but, well, it's uh,
1: kind of interesting, the, the, the challenge here is that, you know, there some of them were... Uh, Reportedly supposed to be out of quarantine by Wednesday. Uh, That would be their 14 days. The plane is supposed to come and get them uh, on Tuesday. uh, Is the latest we're hearing. So tomorrow. um, And you know, I guess for some of them is you know what gives here. We were if we stay on the boat and we get off on Wednesday, then we have to find our way back to Canada and we have to figure out what happens next. Uh, But we're out of we're out of quarantine if we if we take the Canadian ride home, uh, we end up getting back to Canada. Um, so yes, we get to go home, but then we're placed in quarantine at another, they would be put in quarantine at what's called the NAV Canada uh, Conference Centre, I guess, which is in Cornwall, Ontario, Right. and they would be housed there for another 14 days. And so there there are some uh, medical experts saying this is necessary, other medical experts saying, uh, you know, Canada, you know, the government needs to make a better case for why these Canadians would be brought home if they're showing no symptoms and then put back in quarantine for another two weeks.
0: So the other angle to this that uh, people have been writing about is uh, the impact it's had on Canada's relationship with China. Of course, uh, there's a lot of water under the bridge uh, in the last year or two on that. Uh, there are people suggesting that there's been a, a thawing of the relationship because of, of how the countries have been working together on the coronavirus reaction response. Uh, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's uh, you, you want to wait and see exactly what it means. Uh, I think it says a couple of things it says at at a time of international crisis people tend to let down their walls a little bit and uh you know when a country needs the help of other countries i think canadians have demonstrated that you know whatever we know i guess to frame it kind of put it simply we don't typically hold a grudge uh, when we have conflicts with countries but there is a something bigger than that conflict in terms of a what could amount to a worldwide health crisis that canada's always stepped up so I think it says a lot about Canada that we've done that and that if the, uh, if the effect of that is to be seen um, in, a, in, a, in a nicer light by the Chinese because of the way we've been dealing with this crisis compared to some other countries, uh, I guess that's a tremendous benefit. But I think it, you know, I'm, what I'd be waiting to see is, okay, what does all that mean? China's thanking us for the positions we've taken on coronavirus. Uh, they're thanking us for the aid we're sending to uh, to China to deal with this outbreak. But does that mean it will translate into the release of the two Michaels, you know, being held, uh, you know, being detained in in China? And w- will we see that? Is that the na- the natural follow through, or does it end here? Thank you very much, Canada, for that kind of support. Uh, we're still not releasing the two Michaels. I think I mean, I, I, we want to be careful about what the you know what the prize is for this the yeah. relationship until we actually see it.
0: All right, Peter, great to have your thoughts on all of this. Thanks for joining us today.
1: All right, Mark, always a pleasure. Take care.
0: That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Jamie Watt argues populism is alive and well in Canada. Watt writes. Circumstances have driven us to become increasingly focused on ourselves and our pocketbooks. Rather than elect Jason Kenney to get spending under control at Alberta Health Services, he was elected to build a pipeline and deliver the jobs that would come with it. In Ontario, voters turned to Doug Ford because of an affordability crisis. This is constraining the ability of politicians to dream big and undertake nation-building projects. Canada is not immune to populism. In fact, we may already find ourselves firmly in its grip. At cbc.ca, Vassi Kapalos considers how slower economic growth could put pressure on the federal liberals. Kapalos writes, Headlines over the past month have rightfully focused on railway blockades, plane crashes, and pandemics. In addition to the very significant effects they have on our health and on reconciliation, they also have an economic impact. It will be interesting to see how the government navigates this set of economic circumstances. With a budget coming likely at the end of March, the Liberal government will have a better idea of how much of a hit the economy is taking by then, and its decisions in crafting the budget will have to reflect that. In the Globe and Mail, Michael Morden and Paul E.J. Thomas argue the U.S. caucus system cock-ups are no reason for Canadians to crow. They write... There is much about the spectacle of the U.S. system that baffles and offends. But Canadians shouldn't be satisfied with the status quo here either. Our system has different problems which could potentially lead to a similar place. Canada's parties are failing to tap huge reservoirs of talent by bringing new people into politics. They are terminally weak beyond their high-controlling leaders. That could make us vulnerable to outside challenges by opportunistic demagogues who can drastically change the direction of a party or even... A country. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we discuss, the Prime Minister has cancelled his trip to the Caribbean and instead will stay in Canada and meet with the Incident Response Group to discuss protests and blockades across the country. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence Macaulay and the Minister of Patriots and Veterans Affairs of the Republic of Korea will take part in a wreath-laying ceremony at the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa, and Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will make an announcement in Sherbrooke, Quebec. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, February 17th. Tune into primetime politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.